0: hey friends wow do we have a good episode for you today I'm gonna say it this is up there this might be in my top three favorite conversations of all time that we've had since the beginning of the podcast it is a beautiful beautiful conversation we've got Ellie's good friend Michael with us Michael's a Tm coach he's got an incredible story to share all about his life just, just growing up as a gay man and the experiences that he's had. And there's just, this is just such a beautiful conversation. And, and it leads into such a deep and heartfelt exploration of what it is to be alive and what it is to be present and sober. And um, to say that me and Ellie and Michael are aligned in how we see things is, well, that would be the world's greatest understatement. So we are beyond excited to put this out into the world please be sure to check out Michael's stuff and all of the cool things that we're going to talk about through the show. Yeah, I'm going to shut up and um, come and get in the Facebook group. Come and chat to Michael. It's an amazing opportunity.
1: So welcome to the Present and Sober podcast, which is a it's an exciting day for me because I've got a friend come to visit me. It's my friend Ooh. Michael. <laughs> Hello, Michael. How are you?
2: I'm doing great, Ellie. Hey, Sam. It's hey, wonderful to be here
1: it's super wonderful i'm so so glad that you're here this has been a long time coming so michael michael and i met in one of the alcohol experiments the january live alcohol experiments so that would have been what was it 2021
2: it was january 2021
1: or was that the first time you'd done an alcohol experiment yes and you got me as a coach you look at you i had you <laughs> if... i
2: had emma onoa yes.
1: simon
0: oh, Brandi, you did well there the
1: dream team the dream team oh i don't think you qualified then sam so (laughs) Uh, that was was slightly awkward wasn't it
0: (laughs) it's fine i can take it (laughs)
1: um so yeah so we got to meet then and uh when when you coach in these programs there are you know thousands of people in there but you kind of um, inevitably you make little connections along the way with wonderful people. And, uh, so it was a real delight that, um, we got to mm-hmm. connect afterwards and you've gone on to become a coach, which is super exciting. And we'll talk about yes. that later on. So, um, it'd be really great to just learn a, a little bit or a lot more about you. So if we can just get started with your story and you could just start wherever makes sense, Michael, and we'll, um. I'm sure I have plenty to talk about along the way.
2: Okay, sure. Well, thank you both for having me. It's truly a pleasure. I think, I think so highly of the and respect the work that both of you are doing, and so it's truly a a pleasure to be here. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Yeah, awesome. Um,
2: yeah, Ellie and I met in the 2021 live alcohol experiment, and that was that was my first time doing it. Um, but I had been in sort of the sober curious, or I had been following Annie Grace for a little bit. I had read her book actually a year prior. I was doing a dry January in 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, and came across, thought, okay, I just want to take a break. Um, I knew I was drinking way too much. At that point, I was hiding my drinking hiding tended to be a theme for me, uh, growing up. And I was, there's a lot of shame attached to my drinking feeling that here I was someone that, you know, I have a PhD. I'm a smart person. I do triathlons. I have shown discipline in so many other areas. Why was this so hard? Why couldn't I, I beat this. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was just a lot of shame surrounding that. So, I came across Annie's book during this dry January this naked mind and there were two things that just jumped out at me. I kind of devoured the book. I didn't go through it slowly and process it. I just mm. read it straight through. And the two things that stuck out was number one, it wasn't my fault. Mm. That my brain was doing exactly what a brain does when it's introduced to a highly addictive and toxic substance. Mm-hmm. And that just released me from a lot of shame about my drinking. Um, And the second was just the massive amounts of conditioning around alcohol that we have as a culture. And the way she talks about it, just kind of just showing how, and, and Annie used to be a marketer. So she was able to really give us in that book, uh, a great analysis of how alcohol is being marketed in especially in the west and so that really opened my eyes and those two things right there just i didn't just get through january alcohol free alcohol free I also went through february without really wanting it mm-hmm. um and then of course march 2020 happened and the world seemed to change overnight and i i started drinking again um like a lot of other people and but i stayed in the conversation and i continued listening found annie on youtube was listening to her to her podcasts um also found and through her interview through some of her interviews started following other people like Dr. Amy Johnson, who's also had a huge impact on me. Um, And yeah, so I would go four weeks, maybe another month or two alcohol-free, and then I'd go back. And it was just this kind of cycle, but I stayed in the conversation. But towards the end of 2020, I just knew that this was not sustainable. This was, my drinking was, each time I went back to it, I was drinking more, Um. And, you know, my partner knew, my my husband actually, he knew that I, I was struggling a bit. You know, he had found, the reason I was kind of on this exploration to begin with was because he had found the empty bottles mm-hmm. hidden around the house. Um, and so I was determined to beat this, but was still using a lot of willpower at the time. Um, but because I was following Annie at the end of 2020, I saw that there was this thing called a live alcohol experiment. And so I decided to sign up. Mm -hmm. And like I've heard Ellie say, it was the best $47 I've ever spent (laughs) in my life. Okay. (laughs) And I couldn't believe, and there were, I think what was so powerful for me as someone who has dealt with a lot of shame over the years, and we can talk more about that, that I felt a lot of shame around my drinking. I felt alone in this struggle. And to be with over a thousand people. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: In the same community from all these different countries and ages and backgrounds, all struggling, wanting to change their relationship with alcohol, that in and of itself is very powerful. Mm. It really sort of undoes that narrative that I'm alone. He's yeah. like, no, you're not. No, th- this is this affects so many people. Mm. Um, we just don't talk about it. Mm. The coaching was amazing. You know, of course, I'm going to say that because Ellie's yeah. here. But <laughs> no, truly, it was, I just remember getting so excited. Like, oh, they're going to be live. And I can ask questions. And I can interact with people. And um, the warmth the humanity, the compassion that I felt in those lives and also the humor. And I think that was great that we were able to laugh. Mm. Um, Ellie talking about her addiction to Toblerone and her, (laughs) and me hearing about these cold water plunges Mm. and um, you know, it just all, all kinds of things that people go from very light and, and, Topics we laugh about very deep and personal. It just sort of ran the gamut and it all mm. felt very real. Mm. Um, and of course the content in the live alcohol experiment, the ac- beginning activity of writing down our whys, why we drink and why we want to change our relationship with alcohol is very powerful. You know, I listed probably 10 things about why I drink And of course, they're all very common ones about it helps me relax. It calms my anxiety. It helps me feel social. It helps me feel connected to other people Um, and on and on. By the end of those 30 days, nine out of 10 of those fell away. Mm -hmm. Um, I saw that it really didn't help me relax. I saw that I don't need it to connect with other people. I just saw that all of these beliefs I had around the substance itself just didn't make sense anymore. Um, and I didn't know if I would stop drinking forever, but I knew I wanted to just keep going. And so I, I did. And for for a number of months, I was, I was doing pretty well. I I felt better than I had in years. My training felt better. My running felt better. My swimming, um, I felt clear headed in my work. But then at some point, um, we also face some of the deeper reasons why we were drinking
0: yeah.
2: to begin with. And that one belief that didn't fall away was, I drink because I want to numb mm. and check. Mm. Alcohol helps me numb and check out. Mm. And of course, alcohol does that. Mm. It numbs our prefrontal cortex and there was just there were times that i wanted to check out i wanted to numb and so for me it became what am i trying to numb why do i want to check out why do i want to numb and so that kind of led me on an exploration because i was just feeling like okay i haven't had a drink in months but I feel terrible. I feel disconnected from myself, from other people. I just feel this I'm suffering and I don't know what it is. I don't, um, I was just, I was in a depression. My anxiety was coming back and I had heard, I think it was an interview with TJ Woodward, who's written a lot about addiction. And he sort of named three root causes that he saw in his work. And the three root causes that he sees are toxic shame, unresolved trauma, and spiritual disconnection. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And when I saw those three, I thought, I have all those three, Mm -hmm. you know? I know that there was definitely trauma. Growing up as as a gay kid, um where it was not okay to be gay in the environment i grew up um that feeling of i don't belong i'm not like other boys is can be very isolating and add on top of that a church a religious tradition that says not only do you not belong but you're also going to hell if you do that um
1: michael can i just what, what what sort of age What's kind of your earliest memory of this? How of, long are we talking?
2: Of feeling disconnected or feeling different?
1: Feeling different.
2: I don't... As long as I can remember, really.
0: yeah. yeah. I
2: don't know what age that started. Um, but, yeah, you know, there was... I felt different. I felt even though I was very active and I was competitive and I liked certain sports. I liked swimming. I liked running. I liked individual sports, but you know, American football just wasn't my thing. That sort of rough and aggressive just didn't appeal to me at all. Um, I also liked, you know, music and art and, you know, and, and I was bullied a lot. I was bullied an awful lot. I was beaten up a lot. Um, so I I don't know which came first. I felt different and was bullied or was bullied and had that those not good experiences. And that led, you know, who knows? But um, all of it just led to this feeling of being different, not belonging and not fitting. And so, you know, it, being in an environment too that was where I was in a religious tradition where, you know, once I had an awareness that, oh, I like other boys. <laughs> um, I, I couldn't tell anybody that.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And the, I knew that the only options I, because it, it just was this, there was so much stigma around it. Um, and I, you know, probably had this awareness sometime in the 1980s and during the AIDS crisis. So to be gay not only meant that you were sinful going to hell, but you were going to get this awful disease. Mm. Um, So there was just all of this story and shame around that. I couldn't tell anybody, but maybe, maybe God would heal me. Maybe I could um, find refuge in the church, find healing to change this. And, you know, as a in my early 20s, I went to a Christian college. I then um, was part of a pray the gay away ministry to try and change my sexuality. I was part- doing reparative yeah. therapy um, because who I was was not okay. Mm-hmm. It was sinful and it, it had to change or I would go to hell. Or I would just live this miserable celibate life, <laughs> um, and neither of those options seemed like good options. So that's what I was doing, and I eventually saw that it wasn't working, and I was becoming more and more uncomfortable with the pressure to the pressure to date women. And I just thought, I'm not going to, you know, some of my my closest friends are women. I'm not going to, it just seems so disrespectful to use them as an experiment to see, I just thought, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that. Mm. And as I started to question what was going on in some of these, in, in this program, um, you know there was a lot of gaslighting going it was my problem there were my issues i'm just not trusting the process i'm projecting my issues onto the leader it's my problem it's not there is no controlling authority there is no manipulation here it's your issue um and so there was just sort of layer upon layer of this I was struggling. I, um, Fortunately, I was able to get out of that community when I went to graduate school to do my PhD. Um, but even though I left that community, the struggle was still there between my sexuality and my faith. Um, and at one point, I called a mentor. I went to go see a mentor of mine who was a pastor of the church, had gone back for some event, And just telling him just that I was in this tug of war. I was feeling all of this pain. And I remember he looked at me and he said, Brother Michael, Satan wants your soul. And then he repeated it again. Satan wants your soul. And that just sent chills down my spine. And I started sobbing, but... I see now that those tears were really because I realized that I was saying goodbye
0: mm-hmm. to
2: this community, to this ideology, that I could no longer be part of this, that it was no longer who I was. And there was grief there. there you know, I, I think when there is religious trauma, which is what I, I call what I experienced. Um, it can be complicated because there were good things. Nobody enters these to say, oh, yes, I want to be told to, that I'm going to hell. I want to be manipulated. I want to be controlled. We go into a community thinking we're going into to find support, to find acceptance, to be able to, you know, express what's on our minds and hearts um and so losing that was painful but i knew i just i couldn't be part of that anymore um so when i was working on my phd and i was socializing then with all these other people of course there was alcohol and i hadn't been a drinker before because it hadn't been part of that that context so alcohol was introduced in social situations. And it was like, holy cow, where has this been all my life? This this tug of war was just gone.
0: Mm-hmm. The
2: anxiety about, you know, the f- eternal fate of my soul was just no longer an issue. Um, everything just seemed quiet. Mm-hmm. And I had this sense that everything's going to be okay. and I, you know, my mind, my brain remembered that like, Oh, this is, this'll help. <laughs> this will help quiet. All of that. Let's do this again. Um, and so I, I couldn't really see how at the time when I was sort of started drinking and I wasn't, you know, I didn't start drinking huge amounts right away, but I do wonder if that context in which alcohol was introduced and the effect that I noticed of it calming that, condemning voice of am I going to hell mm-hmm. um it just calmed um, all of that anxiety um but of course as you know and obviously eventually that tug of war between my faith and my sexuality died down but my mind found other things to worry about and obsess about mm-hmm. um And alcohol was always there to calm those voices, calm that, calm that internal tug of war. And of course, then it just got more and more and more to the point where my anxiety was no longer about, you know, my research or my job or my relationship, the anxiety became about the alcohol itself and my drinking. And that's when I knew. um, And that's when I really started getting worried. You know, I'm hiding bottles around the house. I'm the first thing I want to do when I get out of work is just is get a drink. And I was going to different liquor stores because I thought, oh, my goodness, they're going to know who I am. I don't they can't see me every day. I knew, so I would rotate where I would go to buy alcohol, so because of this shame that I felt, yeah, um,
0: that kind of stuff. And I was just it's like a the moment where anybody, and i I see this in my story as well, the moment where we realized the thing that we thought was saving us for so long is actually pulling us under exactly. something yeah. really the, the the scary the the frightening thing that happened for me was, so then you wanna lean in more and every time you get pulled in deeper. So you feel you exactly. just feel it and you just you get to know that. And then I a few things I noted, I'd speed walk home from work. Like I'd literally walk home fast just so I could get home and have a drink quicker. Yeah. Or I can remember walking home with a friend and I'd pop into a shop on a Monday, I'd buy some booze and then it would be gone by Tuesday. And then the next day when I was walking home, I'd have to pretend I'd forgotten something because I couldn't let him see that I was going back into the shop because, and it was just in charge. Um, <sighs> that is a moment and i just wanted to highlight that because i think if people are noticing those things um it doesn't have to be like that and it, right. and i know how frightening that can be um yes so i just yeah i just wanted to to mention that it's really powerful that you say that yeah you, you said something that i'm super super curious about you said as the tug of war between uh, sort of uh, your faith and your sexuality and as these things shifted other than the kind of the, the kind of numbing effect of the alcohol what's mm-hmm. how do you account for that happening kind of like from you from your wisdom like what shifted for you what did you start to see that allowed you to kind of yeah like what how did you refine your faith in a different way like how like what what was that journey like what happened for you
2: it's an interesting question it's one that i'm still that i still think about i In the short term, I shut the door on it because I just couldn't, there was too much. And at the time too, there was all of these wars going on in different um, denominations Mm -hmm. about do we accept gay priests or pastors or do we allow homosexual? all of this stuff. And I just got so tired of my sexuality being at the center of. (laughs) Sure of institutionalized religion i needed a break and so i just and i was still i was still going to a church there was a really wonderful episcopal church um where i did my phd where i could just be it was very it was one of these churches that was very progressive theologically but very traditional liturgically. So it had this, and I love the smells and bells stuff. I always did. So I, I would just go and kind of let that wash over me and feel the sense of peace, but I could just, and I I was, it was okay for me to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember talking to the priest at one point and just telling him all this internal struggle. And, and he looked at me and he said, you know, I think you need to relax. <laughs> and that was just, it was so funny because the pastor before, when I had told this to was telling me that Satan wanted my soul and here this um, wonderful Episcopal priest was just telling me, I think you need to relax. <laughs> um, And just, and, and that gave me permission to not solve everything. I don't didn't need to resolve this conflict. I can just be, Um, and I was allowed to be, but I stayed sort of in the margins. I I was still very wary of institutionalized religion. And, you know, and I also know, I want to acknowledge that there are faith traditions that are incredibly inclusive, even within Christianity. So I don't want to paint them all as, uh, with a broad stroke that they're all, uh, damaging and, and all of that. Uh, I was just at a place where I needed a break and, you know, I was busy with my research, trying to write my dissertation, uh, look for a job in academia. I I got, just got busy with other things. Um, The spirituality piece though came back around once I became alcohol free. Mm. That's when I felt that I was able to explore that
1: more
0: i love how wisdom and, spoke to you in certain moments of your journey buddy i just love it i love in that moment where that yes. pastor said those words to you both in the just relax and also in in the in the horrific words that were said like it's wisdom was just so there with you you like the feeling yeah. that came up in you despite it being right. very difficult um to grieve and to move through that and to release that i think that's just beautiful because to me that is spirituality to me that's spirit that's yes. the formless that's us communing with ourselves. and i yes they really stand out to me that that moment of just relaxed that sounds so simple yes. but we we talk about all the time as you know on the show like there is a world of deeper feeling in all of us that's guiding us all the time that that just yes. just relaxed. like if that thinking is taking you to that place just right. just orient somewhere different It's beautiful that that helped you so much. And then, and then taking alcohol out, then suddenly there's a, I I don't think, I don't think we ever lose touch with who we really are, but it's, it, it definitely seems, there seems to be a correlation between drinking less or not drinking and having like more kind of a felt uh, experience of that. Right.
2: Absolutely. And, you know, another time where I felt. That life was living me, mm. and I, I love that expression that I I've heard used. You know that life lives us, um, and I don't mean in a passive way that we're just carried about, but that we are not separate from life. Yeah, we are. <laughs> um, we are life. We are part of life, and and so we are lived. Um, when I was in this funk after being alcohol free for a while and all of this stuff you know thinking about the toxic shame the unresolved trauma the spiritual disconnection um and i was in spain at the time this was in the summer of uh 2021 um i was listening to amy johnson speak about loneliness she was answering a question that um that someone had written to about And I I just really related, you know, my sense of feeling disconnected and what she said or what I heard um, just sort of rocked my world because she said, you know, how interesting is it that we can be with the people we love, the family, and yet feel alone and lonely Yet we can be alone without people in nature and sense this oneness and feel connected. So this feeling of loneliness, of disconnection really has nothing to do with how many friends I have, whether I had a traumatic childhood, whether I was bullied, whether all of this stuff. And she said, what if that's a story? And what if what's really true is that as humans, as part of life, we share the same essence. We are of the same essence. And we are connected more than we can possibly imagine. That that is our default nature. And we have a mind that's telling us, but what about my past? What about my... And can we at least get curious about that deeper that just consider what if, and I remember she said, don't take my words for it, you know, just, just consider be open. What if connection is your default? Mm. And I just welled up with tears because like you said, Sam, we never lose that. We never lose that connection. And in that moment, I knew that what she was saying resonated so deeply. And I remember going, leaving the flat I was in and going to the, the central market and just all this bustle of people and and people I didn't know, but just having this deeper sense of oneness, of connection with all of these, with all of it. And that was a very powerful moment for me to see that, oh, I don't have to fix. I don't have to resolve this trauma. I don't have to look for a connection out there. I don't have to do anything to release shame. My default nature is connection. I, In this present moment, there is no trauma.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Like mm-hmm. Yes, bad stuff happened. But when I'm feeling this disconnection, when I'm feeling, when I'm suffering, I'm caught up in my mind story Mm -hmm. about the past or a fear of the future. It's not here Mm
1: -hmm. now.
2: Um, And that's when things started to shift for me. And that's when I kind of came back into the spiritual conversation Um, you know, it was interesting because as soon as I heard those words from Amy Johnson, I was, you know, I was welled up with tears, but then another voice came in and said, that's so woo-woo. Um,
1: (laughs) why is is there always two bloody voices?
0: (laughs) I know. (laughs) Because one of them's, one of them's panicking about what it means (laughs) for it. It, Yeah. What it
2: means for me and my life and my identity, you know, all this sort of stuff.
0: i love that. that is such a touching thing to share and i really love this is it, it just looks so true to me what you said the mm-hmm. connection is a fact the feeling mm-hmm. of it may ebb and flow but it doesn't right. it doesn't doesn't and it's uh we live in this experience of thought moving through us and if we are innocently orienting towards all of the things that we're disconnected from and you know i often say to people in a bar surrounded by people feeling completely lonely or exactly like being in nature feeling completely connected because it's right it's at a deeper level than the it's a little bit like as it looks to me if you imagine the sea like at the top there are the waves that are crashing and moving around all the time there's the kind of like the ebb and the flow of feeling but always if you look in the direction at the deepest level there is a there is a space within us who we really are that's formless and untouchable and it cannot be touched by what has happened to us, what will happen to us. There's nothing any of us could do or not do that would add or take anything from that space. And to yes. me, it looks like even the tiniest realization, and it and it's got to be a realization, not mm-hmm. a belief in that world. Right. There's no belief required. It's a realization, an insight. Change yes. your life forever boom, it will change your life it, forever.
2: It does. And it's, um, yeah, I, there's so much more I could say about that. Everything you just said, Sam, resonates so deeply with me. Um, One of the reasons, you know, going back to drinking, and one of the reasons I drank was to feel more social or I'm the belief that I'm socially anxious. Um, I'm an introvert. And, you know, there was a time when, when I took those personality inventories and I realized, and I fell on the introvert scale and I thought, oh, okay, this is a thing. So my wanting to spend time alone or my or feeling energized from sometimes my alone time is normal. That's not a problem. You know, so that label was helpful for a certain period of time. But I also see how my mind latched onto that label and used introversion as an excuse to stay home alone and drink. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, To say, I'm socially anxious, I'm socially awkward, or I'm an introvert, and therefore I'm going to not connect or part of this. And what realizing, coming to truly see that we are connection. You know we are. There is this deeper oneness. That connection is our nature. It just flipped the narrative of that whole. I'm a socially anxious person. Well,
0: yeah.
2: No, I'm not. I may experience yeah. anxiety from time to time. I may ex- like not know what to say to somebody. But if connection is my nature, this wants to happen, and that just blew me away and it changed how i would go into situations and socialize again as a non-drinker to be with friends um i didn't need i no longer needed strategies to cope with getting through these these situations or events because i now saw them in a very different way it was like you said that insight that that just changed everything
1: yeah The thing that's just so wonderful and I I love in its entirety, the way that you shared your story and your experience Mm. and the insight that you had and what our listeners are going to be able to hear in that is like the really fucking good news is you don't have to keep revisiting stuff from the past, no matter how traumatic, challenging, difficult. I speak to people every day that are, um, and I'm not, um, uh sort of back in therapy but people have have had enough of talking about stuff yes and they they don't they don't want to have to be re-traumatized over and over again and what you've beautifully described is how something so simple or seemingly so simple can just burn through the whole fucking lot and it doesn't exist anymore not that it doesn't it, 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 as you say right. it happened but it's right. not it's not happening now and um, and what that then, the opportunity that that then presents, and it all to me, it all comes from like that that moment that you were given that word of of relax. Because with that we we have to. I was talking earlier on to somebody, and and I can see in this person I can see so much of myself trying to figure things out. And well, uh, right. if I can just understand why you know I have this tendency to like I want to know how and why things work the way that they do and and Mm -hmm. that can be beneficial and interesting but it can also keep you stuck and um and there's a couple of women that I'm working with at the moment that have this it's like oh I need to figure it out it's like I need to it's like, like I've got this patchy jigsaw puzzle and I need to be able to find the last pieces so I can put them in and then I can kind of stand back and yes see it in its entirety and I said look the the jigsaw puzzle just keep getting bigger, and you'll find more. So so just take the jigsaw puzzle, shake it up, and fucking throw it up like just yes. <laughs> like, and and then look at it because that that's beautiful. Like you you yeah. don't you don't need to have like all that all of that tension and that grasping. Yeah. It like it it never goes anywhere. It just we we think we have this illusion of control of our circumstances, relationships. And just when we think that we've fixed one thing, some, something else happens. So the really Once, fucking yeah. good news about all of this is that there's no problem. There's nothing to right. fix. It's <laughs> it's a case of relaxing into your life and just enjoying it and being with it. And it's not to say right. there won't be challenge and difficulty, but you have that 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 home base is always there, always. You're always okay.
2: Yes. And, and that has been huge. And, you know, I, and I confess, sometimes I still don't, I get, I'm identified with a story and I mm-hmm. I forget we, we all do, you know, it's, um. I like what you said about how, and, and I, and I agree 100%. I don't want to bash therapy either. And therapy has helped me at certain points past. I went, I even did uh, EMDR therapy at one point. Um, and, and I think it was helpful, but it became uh, this constant search of my mind, always looking for where's the unresolved trauma? Where is the root cause? Where is this? And when you keep looking for things, mm. our mind tends to find them, oh, right? Yeah. And yeah. it just got to the point where I, d- I don't need to know why anymore. Yeah, yeah. And, and not in a sense of denial but
1: exactly exactly
2: more like how is this i am here now there is no past the past is an idea Mm. that's brought up in the present um so there's this Mm. right here
1: Mm.
2: and can i learn to be in this and see that i'm okay whatever shows up whatever experience happens um it's okay. Um, and that was huge for me to see. I think, yeah, sometimes there are things that are helpful and what that, so for me, for example, understanding the difference between fear and worry and anxiety
0: mm-hmm.
2: was really helpful to understand that we live in a world now that, you know, how fear developed from an evolutionary perspective to keep us safe um, when there's an immediate and present danger. So that we can react without thinking, and fear goes away. We get to live another day, right? Um, But in this society we live in now, where there aren't woolly mammoths hiding behind the corner, they wouldn't be hiding behind a corner. They'd be.
1: <laughs> You've got the <a> vision now,
2: <laughs> right? <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, we, we don't have those kinds of daily threats to our existence, but our mind is still on the lookout, trying to keep us safe. And so it it creates these scary stories of what might or could happen and leaves the might or could out. Um, and it's like as good as guaranteed that this is what's going to happen. Mm. And for me to understand that, it, it almost gave me, it gave this sort of searching part of my brain. So I'm like, Oh, okay. So there's a reason for this. Mm. So I can kind of just let it be. So I do find, you know, like you said, it can be helpful to understand certain things, but it will only take us so far.
1: Oh yeah. 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 Yeah.
0: It looks like this. It's interesting because to me, they look like different conversations depending on how far you're pointing upstream. So there's, right. the, there's the content of our experience of which there can be very interesting things to understand. You know, like you said, distinctions, you know, be, be, building meaning around things, kind of the stuff that we do, they're like these beautiful faculties that we have where we can imagine and, and plan. And, and that's, that looks like a beautiful gift. No one wants to give any of those things up, but right back a step, there's a conversation, not about the content, but about the nature Of our experience and the nature of who you really are and that's formless like that's not in content Mm -hmm. that's that from that's the place from where that comes and the access point to that is a feeling and that point that who you really are before this world before Mm -hmm. your name before your ideas of yourself before any of that before your feelings before your thoughts all of that is completely untouchable yes and that is real like that is always here that's the one thing that is constant you access it in the present moment and it's always got your back and Mm -hmm. um it had your back the whole way through your story man that's what i like i heard it like i my it was i loved it because these things are going like awesome wisdom in action awesome look at that wow look at that like the whole way through your story and I, i just love it and look i know we've been Believe it or not, we've been talking for nearly forty-five minutes, right? But what is wow. I would uh, that, that's crazy. I would. I don't know if Ellie's got anything she'd love to know, but there is something I would love to know. If there's anyone who's sitting listening to this, thinking, "Ah, oh, I deeply resonate with 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 this story," and they maybe feel like they're at a certain point, and what would you love them to know? What would you uh, What would you love to share? I'd love to share that to to be
2: curious and and just consider what if not everything your mind is telling you about who you are and what you've done and or about whatever. What if you didn't have to believe it all? You know what if you could just sort of get curious about that experience and know that and just yeah consider what if you are bigger than all of that you know what the other metaphor i've heard is the sky and the weather you know what if you really are as expansive and open and clear and peaceful as the sky Mm. and we're getting identified with the weather that passes through um and can you see that the sky cannot be damaged by the weather the sky cannot be touched even if it's a hurricane it's still not going to affect the sky Mm. um and just can you lean into that and see, and what shows up for you around whatever habit you're dealing with, whatever stories that, that seem so real in this moment. Um, can you find that space and lean back into that expansive sky that is who you are?
1: how they ask the question anyone got a mic to drop (laughs) not your new one
0: no you can't drop my new one it's beautiful it is i'm so touched by i mean i to say we are on the same page (laughs) (laughs) might might be a bit of an understatement like it's it's really beautiful to hear you and to use the analogies and metaphor that Mm -hmm. you are is, is really touching that's beautiful and i know that many of our listeners I and mean, we're we're always pointing in this direction but it's rare that we have someone on who can express it in such a beautiful way so thank you for coming and doing that that is <laughs>
1: oh, my amazing.
2: pleasure yeah no, it, it's a pleasure i i love talking about this stuff and it's amazing is that this exploration for me like alcohol was the doorway mm. to just such a much larger a conversation about who we are and the nature of our experience and how our minds work and it's i can't think of anything more gratifying and and to talk about
0: mm-hmm.
2: so this has just been such a incredible joy and pleasure for me thank you
1: thank you thank you it just oh, it, i get so excited when you earlier on when you were talking about that connection that you feel when you go into a program like the alcohol experiment and Uh now knowing, just as you say, like that it's this doorway to something so much bigger for each of those people, you know, they're, it's going to look different for everybody, but they're, they're opening that door and it's collectively, it's um, much needed and uh, it's, It's this time. I think is a really interesting, very interesting place to be, and to have people like you coming through as a coach. When you told me that you were considering coach training, I got super excited. And here you are, fully. Well, in fact, you've been you've been certified a while now.
2: Yeah, it'll be be, it'll be a year in September. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: So and and it, it. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No,
1: I was just gonna say, do you want to tell us a little bit about what you've been up to and what you are up to?
2: Yeah. Well, I've, uh, I've started my coaching business, which I call open vistas coaching. Nice. And I call nice. it that because for me, this experience has been about what it's been about opening what we see. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not about willpower, it's not about focusing on the behavior it's looking in a little different direction and just kind of expanding mm. that view um so the name came to me when i was out in the desert in new mexico last year and i thought this just this makes sense it it's very much who i am and how how my own change story has worked um and so openvistas.com, openvistascoaching.com is where people can find me. And I do one-on-one coaching. I'm excited to be one of the coaches in the June live alcohol experiment.
0: How's that for a second? How for circle? exciting cool, huh?
1: is that? Yeah. So but, that that's yeah.
2: really exciting. That is really exciting. Uh, and fact, I'm still an sorry. academic.
1: <laughs> so, yeah. Just that other thing on the side. Yeah. Um actually, can you tell us a bit about what's happening in June? Because this is a first. So this isn't just any yes. run-of-the-mill live alcohol experiment. This is this is a this is big news.
2: This is big. It's um it's a it's for pride, the month of June, which is Pride Month. Um, in a lot of places around the world, celebrating LGBTQ plus uh pride. And there's a group of us coaches that really wanted to create a safe space for LGBTQ folks to really, to feel safe. And, you know, there's, we talked a little bit about shame earlier and hiding and there can be, there, there can be a resistance, um, to being in groups, you know, if you're talking about very deep stuff and about things that are, uh, that bring up a lot of vulnerability, you know, safety is key. People need to feel safe to share and to create a space specifically for, you know, sexual minorities that, um, feel that they can explore their relationship with alcohol with other lgbtq and allies
0: yeah
2: uh we're just really excited about that especially considering the higher rates of addiction in the lgbtq community um we we think it's really important and uh we're just i'm thrilled you know just so happy that this naked mind is is sponsoring this Mm -hmm. it's
1: wonderful i'm Super, super excited! I'm thrilled for all of you. Like, what a, what an opportunity for you guys, but Absolutely. then for the wider community, it's wonderful. Yeah, yeah, very exciting. Oh, I, yes, I it love is. it. I love all that. It's, I have no doubt that people are
0: gonna want to reach out and and, and chat to you, man. That's really cool. And um I, this is a really important conversation. I can, mm-hmm. I can kind of, I, I know, I know how many people this will touch. Um, mm-hmm. In you know, the most beautiful way. So yeah, once again, just thanks for coming on and being so open hearted and, and authentic and and yeah, just real about it.
2: Yeah. Well, thank you. You know, it, it's been such a joy. I, I love the work that both of you are doing. Um, you know, y- your podcast is reaching so many people. It's had an imp it's had an impact on me. Um, you know, when you talk about things that how we resonate in these topics there's so many times where i'm driving and i'm like oh (laughs) i know exactly what he's talking about i know exactly (laughs) what they're talking about yeah it's good um so for me that this is just truly a pleasure and i'm grateful
0: i have no doubt we'll be inviting you back on
2: uh yeah Uh, anytime i would
0: love to Yeah, that would be great. I don't want to speak for any, but I'm pretty sure I can.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you can. And the only only condition is, before you go, Michael, you've got to give us your best British accent.
0: I can't believe you just did that.
1: (laughs) I did. I did it. I'm getting him back.
2: (laughs) Oh, my goodness.
1: Here we go. It's worth the wait. I promise you. Oh,
2: see now that you put me on the spot, now I have to think of what it is, what it is that I can say that will come out, and, and of course it'll come out horribly.
1: <laughs> Why don't you introduce your uh, the live alcohol experiment in a British accent?
2: Oh no, no, that, that that's too much. I just have to do it <laughs> at a word level.
1: Well, that's ooh, what? Oh, fantastic! Oh, there you go. That's fantastic.
0: That was beautiful far superior than ellie's french american or any other kind of accent to be honest with you so you smashed it well done yeah well done yeah any uh Thank final you. words of wisdom ellie i've been doing that. i've been putting her on the spot with this as well mate. any anything you'd like to leave our listeners with there's, there's no, been I've some corkers recently
1: i've just got i've just got a vision of a woolly mammoth peeping around the corner <laughs> that sounds like a be-
0: that's a beautiful place to leave it we'll leave people with that go find a woolly mammoth be careful around the next corner <laughs> So you will easily have been able to tell just how touched I was from that conversation and Ellie as well. And we cannot wait to get Michael back on the show. And yeah, I know that he would love to hear from you. I know that there's so many things that a lot of you would probably like to say as well. So um, yeah, we look forward to that. Please do reach out, let us know, the Facebook group, email, whatever makes sense to you. And go and have an amazing week. Huge love. See you soon.